Let's pray. Our great Father in heaven, we pray that you would occupy our lowly hearts, own them all, and reign supreme, and conquer every rebel power within us, and let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased us, and we pray that you would make us yours forevermore. In Jesus' name. Well, this is the third of five classes on money. Last week we focused on giving, and today we'll think about spending. So remember, with all these things, we're thinking about it in terms of glorifying God, that we can save to the glory of God, we can give to the glory of God, and we can actually, amazingly, spend to the glory of God. So let me start with the question, and and before I ask this, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 30. This is where we'll start, Proverbs chapter 30. Let me start with the question, and you help me out. How should the gospel change how we spend our money? How should the gospel change how we spend our money? In other words, how does your spending differ from the spending of a person who's not gripped by the gospel? How does it affect the objects of your spending or the the goals of your spending and the motives behind your spending? What do you think? How does the gospel change the way that you spend? Jonathan? terms of how, how do you do that? Okay. Okay. Those, could, those things could actually be categorized under giving. What we're talking about is spending. Bob? Okay, good. These answers are uh, really work uh, toward the goal of what we're going to be looking at this morning because we want to understand how our use of money should look different because of the fact that the gospel has changed us. So let's read uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Someone read those verses for us. So here's the, the main prayers in the middle of verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Love these two verses. I remember my dad quoting these verses in prayer often. And, uh, and, and it's a prayer for contentment, isn't it? It is, don't give me poverty so that I, I am in want and I have this desire to steal or to cut corners. Don't put me in that position. But also, God, don't put me in a place where I am rich. Because, verse 9... I don't want to get to a place where I say, well, who are you, Lord? I don't need you. I have what I need, all, all the security uh, in my money. Um, see, there's nothing inherently wrong with money. Money is not the root of all evil. What is the root of all evil? The love of money. So it's not money that's evil. Uh, the Scriptures are clear about that. We we can use money for God's glory. We can spend money for God's glory. It can be 
uh, used for enormous good in this life, good that will actually last for eternity. And yet, uh, we still at the same time need to guard ourselves like the the uh, author here does. I don't think it's Samuel here, or uh, Solomon that is. I think it's, yeah, verse 1 is Agar. So, point is, we need to, we need to recognize the two extremes that, that we want to avoid. And so, our goal is to master our money. Again, that's why I like that book. It's a great title, Master Your Money by Ron Blue. I, I mentioned I put those names of the books on the back of your handout, so those are there for your benefit. I would recommend those to you highly. Master your money. We need to master our money rather than being mastered by it. That's the key. And to do that, uh, I'll begin by reviewing some principles that we've already covered in the class, and then we'll discuss how much we should spend with a focus on um, on how God calls us to a certain lifestyle. And then we'll finish by uh, discussing uh, budget and stewardship. So first, some basic principles that are just in review. We should should uh, just bring to mind what we've already looked at in this class. Number one, everything that you have belongs to God. This came out in, in Bob's answer earlier. Everything that you have belongs to God. This is obviously referring to more than just your money, but I think that many of our problems as Christians arise because we think about money in isolation of God's ownership of it. You know, we, we walk into a world, or like the example that Piper uses of of a museum, we take these art pieces off the wall and claim that they're ours when they're not. We walk into a world that where nothing belongs to us, all of it belongs to God, and we use it as if God doesn't exist. And this is the first basic principle, and I think all three books that I recommend for you there on the back start with that basic principle. Everything that you have belongs to God. Number two, God has made you a steward of all that you have, and you'll be called to give account for your stewardship. Um, so we we need to have that goal in mind. It's not just enough to recognize that everything you have belongs to God. The, remember the, the parable of the talents. The, the one steward who had only one talent recognized that it belonged to his master. That's not enough, right? He needed to use it for God's glory. He needed to be a steward of it, a proper steward, rather than hiding it in the ground. So um, we have freedom as to how we use that money, but we do have one goal of using it for God. Number three, hoarding is spiritually damaging. Um, I mentioned last week, God has given to each of us amount of money. And uh, some of us, some of that money we need to use to spend, right? We can't just save and give all of our money, can we? We have to spend some of it on what we need and what, what, um, uh, what we need to live on. And so, so we need to, to recognize that. Some, some we should save for the future, which may mean uh, a simple savings account or something more complex like invested in some kind of a business. And then the rest we need to give away because the other option is to hoard it. You know, we, we spend money on what we need. We give some of it away. We save some of it for the future, I think wisely so. But then anything more than that, then we're hoarding. And, um, and I don't think God would call us to that because... At that point, we're looking for money to be our security. And uh, Jesus said that we cannot serve both God and money. We cannot be mastered by money. We must master it. So, uh, we'll talk more about some of that next week when we look at the economics of tomorrow, debt, and saving. Number four, 
review um, and answer the question, how much should we give? The answer is that we should give until the next dollar we would have given away could actually bring more glory or at least the same amount of glory to God if we spend it on our own needs. So, I want to maximize our ability to bring glory to God, not just with our giving. You know, it's, it's great to give. And God provides for us so that we can give to others. We want to be in that position. Paul calls us to be in that kind of position so that you're not dependent on others, but actually able to give to those who have need. Uh, that's a great position to be in. But how about uh, give, uh, spending on our own uh, needs and even beyond that for the glory of God? Can we do that? And that's really what we need to be thinking about today. So that's what we're going to look at now. How much money does a wise steward spend on himself? How much money does a wide, wise steward spend on himself? Certainly it cannot be 100%. Um, imagine that you're entrusted, or, or imagine that you had a certain amount of money that you entrusted to a retirement manager, a financial manager, and in exchange for a fee. You know, he charges you in order to manage your money. And a year later, you discover that all the money that you trusted to him had been used by him on his own personal things. He had taken 100% of your money. Well, what's your reaction to that situation? All right, give him some more to handle? No, you, I mean, that's crazy. That's not why I gave you the money. You were supposed to invest it for me, not spend it on yourself. But how many of us do that same thing with God, Right? We, we have been entrusted a certain amount of money. We're like the financial manager. God owns the money. And then we spend it all on ourselves. We don't use any, for, use any of it for God. And that's why this verse here in Proverbs 30 um, helps us to ask the right questions. How much should we spend? And, and answers that I think with, you know, we, we need to recognize what we actually need. And that's, that's a difficult question to come to, and that's what we're going to try to try to narrow in uh, today. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. So we need to be content with what God has given to us, not constantly seeking for more. So let me, let me try to, um, to reframe the question of how much do I need by asking this question. What lifestyle has God called us to? What lifestyle has God called you to? I think our tendency is often to answer the question, what do I need, that's a spending question, as the most basic level possible. You know, so then we ask the question, do I need a Big Mac or do I need the dollar menu burger? Do I need to fly home for Christmas? You know, what if I just drove and so forth? And But that doesn't really provide us with much of a framework for decision making. It doesn't really help us in the spending question, does it? Because we get tied up in knots. You're like, well, I don't really need it. I only need food and food and clothing, so I don't need any of those things. And then at that point, we, we, um, we actually bind our conscience to say, you know, it's wrong for me to actually take a trip to visit family or something like that because I don't need it. I only need food and clothing. And I think that would be actually an imbalanced view of spending. So, what kind of lifestyle has God called you? By lifestyle, I mean the spending habits you've been, you have become accustomed to. What kind of spending habits have you become accustomed to? That is, where you live, what you drive, how you dress, how you vacation, how you eat. What kind of lifestyle have, 
have you become accustomed to? Um, because really, if we think about it, our lifestyle often determ- determines our needs. Right? If you buy a house, then you're kind of bound to, to pay for that house. Right? You need to make that mortgage payment. If you're going to be the kind of family that takes vacations, then you need to have a vacation fund. We'll talk about that more. But, but lifestyle often determines needs. So here are the two dangers that we must be aware of when it comes to lifestyle. First, we have to guard against the danger of our lifestyle determining our needs. That is, needs that exceed our income. This is a very American problem, isn't it? I mean, with the exception of unusual and temporary circumstances, God is not calling you to a lifestyle that demands more money than you are making. God is not calling you to spend more than you make. Okay, and I say it's an American problem because of our uh, consumer debt that we have. It, we, banks have made it so easy for us to spend more than we make. But God is not calling you to that, except in extreme circumstances, obviously during times of unemployment or, or great cat- catastrophe or something like that. But if you can't make your basic obligations, God is not calling you to that lifestyle. Okay? Uh, it reminds me of the skit that uh, Steve Martin was in. He's a husband. He's up to his eyeballs in debt. And a man comes into the kitchen with his uh, infomercial voice. And he's got this revolutionary money management book called Don't Buy Stuff You Can't Afford. Don't buy stuff you can't afford. And to Steve Martin, it's complicated and confusing. He's a typical American, and he asks, but what if I want to buy something and I don't have the money? And the announcer says, it's all in my book. It's chapter one. It's only one page. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. He's like, but how could that possibly be? How could I not buy what I want? He's like, so there's no money. That means I don't buy it. What if you add money to the equation? The guy says, then you can buy it. It's very simple. And Steve Martin's left scratching his head. Seems simple. Don't buy what you can't afford. But sometimes it's surprisingly difficult, especially when we uh, compare ourselves to a friend who's making the same amount of money as we are, right? Think about maybe a, a sibling or a coworker who you know makes a similar amount of money to you, but actually is living a much better lifestyle than you. They have a nicer car. They have a nicer house. They have a boat. They have a second home. And you're thinking, how in in the world can I keep up with that person? And you know what the answer is? Consumer debt. You buy stuff that you can't afford. You're, You're actually buying, you're actually borrowing from the future. You're you're stealing from the future effectively. You're taking away what you should be able to have in the future uh, in order to have it now. We are bad, especially as Americans, with uh, delayed gratification. You know, we need what we want now, and we can't wait to save for it. And so we, we have to guard against this first danger, and that is, making our lifestyle demand that our needs be a certain level, you know? So so now I've bought this car that I can't afford. I bought this house that I can't afford. But now I have to make these payments or else it's going to be taken away. That's a problem. 
and, and we need to live counter-culturally to our society. Okay? And, and, and okay, you may not want to hear this, but, but you don't deserve things your way. Okay? You don't deserve a break today. You don't deserve a little me time. You don't deserve a vacation to Disney World because all of your other friends have gone there with their... Okay? You gave up your rights when you became a Christian. And, and what did you deserve? What, what you did deserve was born by Christ on the cross. And God is not calling you to need more than you make. He's not calling you to buy stuff you can't afford. That's not God talking when He said, you know, when, you're, when you have this little thought, oh, I, I really need to get that. There's another danger we have to avoid, and that is uh, that our needs inevitably rise with our income. Our needs rise with our income. So as we make more money, well, then we change our lifestyle and our needs start to go up more. Needs, in quotes, okay. If you look at research on giving, you'll find that the group that is the most generous is the wealthy. They tend to give the most. And that's not surprising. They have the most to give. But the second most generous is not the middle class. It's actually the poor that are the second most generous. That is, in terms of volume of wealth. I'm not talking about percentage compared to income. I'm talking about volume of wealth. The people who are in poverty give more than the people who are in the middle class. Apparently, what happens is People in poverty are willing to give, but then as they move to have a higher income, they're less willing to give because they've, they've uh, basically adopted, uh, adapted a different lifestyle. They've, they've built up their perceived needs. Their level of needs has raised with their income. Do you see? See, now that I am at this income, now I need another car. Now I need a better house. Now I need a better vacation spot. And that is too often the case. You wouldn't believe how many people that were making three times as much as I was at JD that were in trouble with debt. They, I, I, would, I knew because I would often get um, uh, questions from them about their paycheck. And when, when am I going to get my paycheck? Is my paycheck? Has my paycheck been deposited? And And some of these people were making... Six figures are living from paycheck to paycheck. What that be? It's because the level of their needs have risen with the level of their income. It doesn't matter how much you make, it's how much you spend. See, they, they've changed what they felt is necessary in their station of life. They, they need a car that looks respectable in the company lot. They need a place to entertain up north. They need a boat. And so our lifestyle largely consists of what we consider to be our necessities. But the key is to realize that what you consider necessary is actually highly subjective. And that's why this question is so important. What lifestyle is God calling you to? So to summarize these two dangers, lifestyle should not be more than your income. It shouldn't spend more than you can afford. And then... You shouldn't increase your needs, your, your lifestyle, with your income. So how do you choose a lifestyle? How do you choose a lifestyle? If that's going to be the base of where we're going to be, then how do we choose a lifestyle? I mean, in some cases, God speaks supernaturally. Like with John the Baptist, go live in the desert and eat grasshoppers and honey. Okay, 
That's great. But for most of us, His calling doesn't come that way, right? We're not John the Baptist. So we have to learn principles from Scripture, pray for wisdom, get the counsel of others, and then all the while seek first God's kingdom uh, while at the same time keeping a clear goal in mind. That we want to use every gift, as I mentioned last time, every gift, every opportunity, every relationship, every dollar we have to proclaim the glory of God with every minute He gives us on this earth. So what kind of lifestyle is God calling you to? Do you have kids? Then spend your money to provide for them. Do you enjoy bicycling? Well, then maybe it's a good use of your money to buy a bike. Go refresh yourself. Enjoy God's creation. Go Enjoy the ability that you have to do it. As 1 Timothy says, remember, God gives us all things richly to enjoy. Don't bind your conscience because you've bought something beyond you know what I need to exist physically. So with that goal in mind, let me give you six principles for choosing a lifestyle. Any questions before we do that? Any thoughts? Okay. Number one, lifestyle is often defined in big pieces but can slide incrementally over time. We tend to define our lifestyle with bigger pieces, but it slides incrementally over time. So you need to find out where are you, what, what is your lifestyle, where you're going to live, um, and, and that's going to determine a lot. You know, once you determine what kind of house you're going to live in, that's going to determine a big part of where your money's going. Once you determine some of these bigger decisions, like if you're going to have a car or if you're going to have a second car, uh, then that's going to determine some of, of what you're doing or education and so on. Uh, so take those big decisions seriously. But at the same time, recognize that there is always upward pressure, just like these people at my company. As income rises, we tend to change our lifestyle. So recognize there's always pressure to move upward with our lifestyle. And we have to guard ourselves. Uh, against doing that too too uh, carelessly. And I think the way to do that, the way to guard yourself against that incremental change, that almost imperceptive change, is to use a budget. Okay, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. Secondly, time and money are interchangeable. Time and money are interchangeable. So how do you take time that God has given you and turn it into money? How do you do that? Any ideas? Work. Okay? Good. You work. You work at a job. You take time that God's given you and you turn it into money by working. How about the other way around? How do you turn money into time? What if you need more time? What do you do? Yes, you pay someone else. So instead of you fixing the plumbing, you pay someone else to fix the plumbing. Right? Or, Or you pay someone else to cut the grass. And now you have the time that you need to do something else. So money and time are interchangeable. And to a lesser extent, money and relationships are interchangeable. Okay, Not that you can buy relationships, but, but you certainly can build relationships with money, can't you? Any men in here ever bought flowers for their wife? Okay, that was money exchange. You gave money to the florist so that you could build your relationship. And that was a good thing, gentlemen. Okay, um, Or you can trade off relationship for money. So... Uh, you can you can give up that time that you could have spent with your family in order to get a second job or to work a second shift, right? So so those are kind of interrelated. Money and time and money and relationships. So much of your lifestyle choice will involve determining where your boundaries are. 
what, what kind of boundaries do I need with regard to my money, with regard to my time? How much time do I need with my family, with regard to my relationships? And then exchanging one for another. So if you feel like you're overwhelmed right now with not enough time to spend with your family, not enough time to spend with church, not enough time to whatever, you can exchange one of those other things with it, can't you? Okay? Or if you feel like you don't have enough money, then maybe you need to spend more time uh, working, right? Now, obviously, you've got to watch those boundaries because uh, you can give up things that you're required to do in order to make more money, and then, then money becomes the master. So, so obviously, you've got to guard yourself. But, but, uh, but use wisdom in, in making some of these choices. Time and money are interchangeable. So also recognize under this point that some luxuries that godly men and women purchase fall into this category. Um, and some sacrifices that God and godly men and women make also fall into this category. So, you know, a luxury of spending time on a nice vacation. You know, you have to give up both time and money to go on a nice vacation, but what do you build usually? Right, you can build your relationship with the rest of your family. So again, you don't have to feel bad about going on vacation. Just It's, it's about moderation. It's about uh, using wisdom. Um, all right, number three. Flexibility is a virtue. Flexibility is a virtue. James 4 says, don't presume upon the future. Don't say tomorrow I will do this and that without saying if the Lord wills. I don't think that's necessarily literal, although I don't think there's a problem when anyone says that. You know, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. But, but the point is, in our thoughts, we need to recognize that, hey, this is about God. We can't presume upon the future because we don't know what the future is going to bring. So don't... Um, Construct your lifestyle in such a way that that you're making commitments that will constrain your ability to respond to opportunities. You know, I, I've 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 committed myself so much to this job that I can't even say yes when someone in the church has a need. I can't I can't come to them and help them in a time of crisis because uh, as far as giving my time because I've I've bound myself. I'm I'm shackled to this job essentially. So recognize that flexibility is a good thing. Number four. Keep the long view in mind. A lifetime of faithfulness is your goal, not just faithfulness in this coming year. Okay, that's a good goal to have short term. But long term, we want a lifetime of faithfulness. And so if you're able to, you want a lifestyle where you can thrive and not just survive. And that will enable to you to, in the long run, be able to be more fruitful in the lives of others. And so... So that means that um, you you need to guard against overspending now. Okay, even if you have the money, I said earlier, don't spend, what, don't buy what you can't afford. But but also don't buy what you can't afford to do when you could be using that money to save for the future and get yourself in a position down the road to be able to free yourself up and be able to minister in some other way. Um, sometimes we mortgage our future in that way. Number five, consider the weaker brother. Okay, so here, here I'm not going to give you guidelines and tell you exactly how you should spend your money, how you should budget your money. Okay, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to micromanage you. Um, you need to make that decision. There's tremendous liberty within these principles. There's, there's freedom. Okay, but, but some choices you need to recognize will lead to temptation for others. So for example... It might work out. You might have enough money in your home 
that you could hire a maid or a cook. Okay? And there's nothing sinful about that. Does anybody know anybody that has one? I know of two godly families that have one. The Cuthbertsons and the Perezes. Okay? But that's a different situation than what we're in here. Okay? If you're hiring a maid and a cook in your house, then then that's going to potentially be a stumbling block for other people within the church. Right? Like, wait a second, we're, we're try, just trying to get by here. Hey, we're not in a culture where we're trying to give all of our time to the ministry and, and um, trying to free up some of that time so we, we can hire someone like that, uh, like the Cuthbertsons do. Okay, you, you need to weigh the costs and the benefits and also don't just say, well, since I have the freedom to do it, I'm going to do it. Keep other people in view. You don't want to be a stumbling block. Number six, consider which opportunities seem unique to you. Consider opportunities, which opportunities seem unique to, to you. So not everyone is able to stay here in this church long term. But as a church, we need people who are willing to stay for a long time. We need people who are just rocks when it comes to the faith. Okay? And and so recognize that, you know, maybe part of making your choices with regard to spending may uh, may include where you're planning to go long-term or where you're planning to stay long-term. And um, so recognize some of your unique abilities to be able to contribute to a church like ours that is of your time and your, your life. All right, let's move on to budget. But before we do, any questions or comments? Principles on how to choose a lifestyle is some of the stickier things you, you I think you do well to, to meditate on some of these things and think about them. Okay, meditate sounds like it's scripture. Okay, these are, I think I hope they're principles that were grounded in scripture. But, but, but you know, just consider them. See if if they are consistent with what the scriptures teach, and then, and then use them for God's glory. All right, no questions. So once you determine your lifestyle. Uh, and hopefully, again, as your income rises, that it doesn't change too much over time. The best, the best way to manage your lifestyle is a budget. Okay, the best way to manage your lifestyle is a budget. So again, one of these three books, get them, read them, understand them, put them into practice. They help you from the very beginning. No matter where you are in your financial position, whether you're deep in debt or whether you're, you know, you don't know where to save the money, you don't know how to set up a budget. These books are very good in that regard. Okay, so pick one of them and and use it. A budget is um, often uh, thought of as a financial tool. So it's something that that will make sure that our checks won't bounce, that we're not doing what that book uh, rejects. We're, we're not spending more than we can afford. Okay, that, that is true, that a budget is a financial tool. But... but um, I think a budget is primarily a contentedness tool or a contentment kind of tool. It's a communication tool. 1 Timothy 6, 8-10 to 10 tells us, If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and foolish and harmful lusts and ruin themselves or plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it or going after it, some have wandered away from the faith. So, your pursuit of money wrongly can actually turn you away from God. Okay, so 
So what a budget does is helps you to keep on track. Okay, because you don't have a budget and you're not good with money and, and, and protecting it, what can happen is you can go off on the wrong path. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who doesn't have a budget is on their way to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if you're not careful, if you don't have a budget, you very likely could be on that path to what First Timothy says, wandering away from the faith and piercing yourself through with many pains. So your budget can help you to stay on track. On track. And, and certainly the converse is also not true uh, always and that is everyone who has a budget is godly and they're trying to stay on the right path we know lots of unbelievers who who have budgets right so how is our budget a tool for contentedness how is our budget a tool for contentedness three things first it helps to restrain spending okay th- this is what we first think of when it comes to a budget we have a certain amount of money in a category and we don't want to go over that. Okay, it keeps us from overspending. Okay, you you see how that works in our church. We try to we try to stay within those those guidelines that we've set up for ourselves at the beginning of the year. So otherwise, it's like, oh, we got a lump of money. Let's just here some, here some, here some. Okay, uh, that's not the most helpful way to to uh, to care for those resources that belong to God. Secondly, it it protects you from false guilt or anxiety when you spend money. A budget is actually liberating in many ways. You know, the furnace broke. Oh dear. It's going to be several thousand dollars. But it's in the budget. So it's okay. It's no problem. The budget helps us to see that God has already provided for it. So now when I have to go spend money on something that that maybe was unexpected. I had it in an emergency fund or something. Then I can spend it on that and not feel bad about it. Like, oh, well, I could have given that money to something else. No, God God decided where it was going to be used, and that's okay. Number three, it makes sure the budget makes sure that our spending is based on what we need rather than our rising income. Okay. So again, if you have a budget, that's this amount of money. I'm not going to spend more than I make. So obviously, more what we make is here. Our budget is here. It should be less than what we make. So now as our income rises a little bit more, what happens to our budget? Generally, it should stay the same. Make a few tweaks, you know, here and there. And it doesn't mean we can't change our lifestyle once we've set a budget. But, but in general, as our income rises, it doesn't force our budget to change. Secondly, um, a budget is a communication tool, not just a contentedness tool, but a communication it, it makes financial conversations strategic and proactive rather than constraint-driven and reactive. So, you know, your husband comes home with a new toy for the kids and and you flip out. Like, how could you possibly do this? But see, if it's in the budget, then that's okay, right? Because we've already made that strategic and proactive choice long before that it's okay for dad to buy a few toys for the kids occasionally throughout the year, right? We have money in the budget for that. And so it makes it makes our conversations, especially when we're putting the budget together. Okay, do we need to be doing these kinds of things? Secondly, it helps protect against judging your spouse. Okay, so your your wife buys Skippy peanut butter instead of the generic kind. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, we could have saved that 15 cents and used it on something else. But listen, okay, you set up the budget and don't micromanage it, okay? Give the grocery budget, set up the grocery budget 
and then let her make the choices. Hey, she has all sorts of liberty as to how we're going to do it. Make sure that the family's being fed, obviously. But, but whether she makes, you know, buys one on sale or not, that's 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 micromanagement. Okay, we need to think about it more from a broader level. I think that's what budget helps us to do. Looks at the bigger picture. All right. Any questions? All right. Stewardship as a community project. So those are some thoughts on using a budget to help us be strategic and proactive. So getting out in front of it. Okay, I have a certain amount of money that God is entrusting to me. I'm going to get out in front of it and make choices. But as we've gone along, you probably notice how com uh, complex and challenging many of these decisions are. So let me just take one last thought here. And say this. On a, on a larger level, these are not decisions that we should be making on our own. Okay? On a larger level. Talk to people who know you best. Talk to people within this church. Have conversations about what kind of thing is normal for a Christian or what kind of thing should be expected of a Christian who's going to use this money in a certain way. And it doesn't mean every year before you sit, set your budget out, you know, you need to you need to sit down with people at the church. But But it certainly would be wise to do uh, at least once. I mean, we we encourage transparency to to a degree. We don't want to know everything, but but with regard to almost everything else in the spiritual life, why would we not want to to do that with each other with regard to money? Okay, so do we have close godly friends that we can talk to, you know, in confidence about some of these things and have you know some hard conversations on occasion? Like you know, should you really be going that far or you know shouldn't you be spending a little bit more we can't know everything about everybody but but the best way to handle it is is for you to go in humility to someone else rather than you looking around for other people and their bad spending habits is not really what I'm getting at so two dangers here in stewardship as a community project first is judging okay we, we go around making financial decisions for everybody else you know, we're so self-centered that we've got it all figured out. Our reasoning, our motives, our circumstances are right, and so our budget is right, and so anybody else who doesn't spend like I spend is living in sin. Okay, that's obviously a great danger. Uh, but, but we have to recognize that God has given different kinds of lifestyles to different kinds of people. So, for example, if a, a man and a woman come together to be married, the man could have grown up in, in a house where his parents were very free to spend money on education and music lessons. And a wife who, who grew up with parents who were very free to spend money on groceries. Okay, So they have different emphases with regard to how they spend. They get married, and what happens? The husband sees the wife spending all this money on groceries, and he says, what are you doing? We could be spending that on music lessons. Right? And what does the wife say? Why are we spending all this money on music lessons? We could be eating better. Right? And, and really what's at the heart of it is, is our selfishness. I think in many cases our godlessness. That, that we think we know. Now, is one better than the other? In, in terms of God's creation, is music lesson better than you know, eating better? Not necessarily. Okay, so, so what we've done is we've exalted our conviction 
based on really our lifestyle habit, what we grew up experiencing, and we forced it on someone else. And we don't have any biblical basis for it. And now we're saying, what you're doing is sin. And so we have to guard ourselves against that. And so let me offer a few suggestions to help avoid wrong judgment of other people's finances. Number one, don't assume motives. When someone does something you don't understand, they spend more money on groceries than you would spend. Don't claim that you know their heart, why they did it. Instead, if you're in a close relationship, okay, particularly husbands and wives, okay, ask them. Talk about it. Many times we just assume that we know what the other person is thinking, what they want, what they're demanding. And, you know, if it doesn't matter in the big ter- in the big scheme of things, again, back to the budget, what was the overall budget? Did they go over the budget? No, then the, it's okay. They bought a little bit of, of Skippy. Okay. Okay, then if it doesn't matter in the big scheme of things, then then use love. Okay, I'm, I'm, I don't see it the way they see it, but I'm going to assume the best about them. Because love, love presumes uh, the best about a person. All right, number two, the second way to guard ourselves against judging is to work toward compassion. Okay, when you do speak about financial decisions, make sure that your motivation is one of compassion and not disdain. Okay, when they come home with something purchased that you're like, man, I would never do that. Don't, don't immediately you know, respond with, how dare you do that? I'm going to show that you're wrong. Okay, And, and even if it is a sinful kind of spending, even if you do have a legitimate biblical reason for them not to do that, don't, don't come with that sort of attitude like, I'm going to get them. Galatians 6 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore him gently. So there's a danger of judging, and then there's secondly a danger of pride. Okay, Jesus here in Matthew 6 gives three illustrations of guarding ourselves against the praise of men. And and he says that when you give, your giving should not be for the sake that you'll be praised by other people. And his point is not to say, when he says, don't let the right hand know what the left... He's not saying do it in secret. You know, kind of when the, the offering plate passes, just kind of sneak it over the side. Okay, he, He's saying, make sure you give to honor God and not yourself. Not to make sure that everybody sees you. So, maybe your discussion of a budget begins with a discussion about how much you want to impress others with your giving. Okay, So, when you talk, and, and I think giving should be... Uh, consideration in your budget, by the way. Uh, do some heart searching and with people who know you and love you and and uh, recognize how pride fits into the whole bu- budgeting process. So, I think with so many other areas of life, we can get into legalistic ideas. Like, we have an idea of how it should be done and then we kind of force that on everybody else. We have to guard ourselves against that sort of thing. Um, But at the same time, we we do need to be, I think, concerned about other believers and mature in the way that we handle those kinds of discussions. And I think one of the most mature things that you can do is to seek out counsel, uh, particularly when you're considering your budget from a larger perspective. And um, and I think God can be pleased in good spending. Okay, 
I, I don't think, you know, we, we have to stay at some base level of poverty. You know, what is the base level of poverty poverty in, in our country? And we need to stay right at that level. That's all we can have in life. Just enough to, to get by and living on the side of the road type thing. Okay. Uh, I think God is pleased in, in you owning a house. Okay. If, if God's given you the means to do that. And you owning a car, if God's given you the means to do that. Um, so, so don't uh, bind your conscience in thinking that you can't use any money for yourself. But when you use it, you got you, you have to guard yourself against going too far because it's the keeping up with the Joneses idea, isn't it? Okay, my neighbor makes less money than I do, and they live much better than I do. But that's not necessarily true. Okay, uh, they may be mortgaging their future. You've seen it happen a hundred times, if not a thousand with these people who, who get deep into debt and then what happens eventually? Okay, the stack of cards or the the, um, the, the cards start falling down eventually. Okay, so it, it's all a facade. So don't don't compare yourself to them. Compare, compare yourself to what I think God would want you to be wise about and that is to um, to spend according to what God has given to you and uh, certainly keep that in view with the, the saving and the giving. So we've got to kind of tie all those things together. Any questions or comments? Okay. You are all pros on this then, I assume. No, we're all still learning, right? But but um, some guidelines on the back for managing a budget, and I'll let you look that on, on your own. Next time, we'll look at debt and saving and um, see what the Scriptures have to say about that. All right, let's pray. I'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for what you have given us of your resources to steward for your purposes. Help us to do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.